0: Hello, chefs. This is Chef's PSA podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, we're going to talk about taking over the world with your restaurant. Stay tuned. Now, before we get into this episode, just want to give everyone a very brief update For those of you that have been asking, I've translated the first book, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals, into Italian, and I'm working on the remaining books. Hopefully within a week or so, they'll all be ready to go. So for those of you that needed your Italian version, it's ready to go. Spanish versions are live, and of course, the English versions are live. So if you don't have those books, go to chefspsa.com. All five books are available, including three free eBooks, 100 Basic Recipes, critical path to opening up a restaurant and a culinary dictionary because you need to know the slang. That culinary dictionary, by the way, I don't know if I've ever said this, but there's there's the slang in there. There's the proper terms in there. And there's also slang that's unique to me that I, that I put in there slang that I would say with my chef friends. So there's some, there might be some new words that you're unfamiliar with in there, like a Halloween ninja or kitchen karate. Anyway, those are my words. So when you see other people using them, know who started it right here, Chef's PSA. What inspired today's episode? So this past week, I had the opportunity to go to two different friends' restaurants. One of them, Alex Castro, he's the chef over at Seven Spirits in Austin, Texas. And he used to work for me prior, really good chef, makes incredible Mexican food. And I went to go check out his kitchen. And I went to go try his food. It's very good. So shout out to Seven Spirits in Austin. If you happen to be there, great bar program, great food. Go check it out. Shout out to Alex. And he was giving me a tour of his kitchen and showing me, look, the tapes cut straight. The towels are folded. He was really proud and His kitchen looked really fantastic. I was happy to see him. I I love seeing people that I've worked with shine and come into their own. So really happy for him. And then later on that week, I went to go visit a good friend of mine, Gabrielis who's opening up his restaurant, also in Austin, Texas, called Bacalar. He's a previous Top Chef winner, fantastic cook. Went to go see his place, got the tour. It's beautiful. It's going to be one of the most beautiful restaurants in the city. And I know his food, so it's going to be excellent as well. So I spent a little bit of time hanging out with him this past week, talking about his restaurant. But the reason I bring this up is because as I was in Seven Spirits Kitchen and Restaurant, and then I was in, in Gabe's kitchen, and getting the back of the house tour and seeing what he's doing and getting excited as they're in pre-opening, I started to reminisce a little bit about my last experience in opening up a restaurant and what my mindset was like and how fun it is and how intense it is and how exciting it is. And then the timing of it, I happened to be listening to an old podcast interview I did with Flavors Unknown. Shout out to Emmanuel LaRoche, good friend of mine, great podcast as well. And he interviewed me several years ago. I don't know the exact date of the interview, but I want to say maybe it was like 2018 or 2019. And I went back and listened to it earlier today because it popped up on my timeline. It was funny for me to listen to it because I'm very much a chef still, switched on, thinking like a chef in the grind. You could even, if you, if you happen to listen to it, you can even see how I talk. It's probably much different to how I speak right now because I was still in that, I don't want to say I was wound up, but I'm much more relaxed right now uh, that I don't have anyone rep- reporting to me. And I'm not trying to conquer the world, but it was good. And it, he brought up a story in that podcast, which made me think about today's episode. When I was opening up the restaurant called Garrison, which is a great restaurant. And, you know, I would say arguably some of the best food in that city, at least according to several lists and the the chefs there, Chef Graham Little, Chef Jacob Chistian, extremely talented chefs. And I would, I'd put Chef Jacob up against a lot of chefs up there and incredibly talented chefs. So shout out to Jacob. But anyway, when we were opening up that restaurant, we weren't allowed in the building, but we needed to create, in, in our case, we needed to create about a thousand recipes because it was multiple concepts. But we didn't have a kitchen to cook out of. But we specifically, when we were talking about Garrison, we needed to probably create about 30 dishes and then whittle it down to the few that, that were going to be the ones that make the menu. And when we were opening this restaurant, there was a lot of pressure on us because of what I had done previously in my career, the team that I had assembled, the amount of money that was going into this building, the amount of press that was behind it, the amount of people talking, there was things that were said that were positive, things that were said that were negative. More importantly than anything is I wanted to plant my flag in the ground and establish that we were at the top of the food chain in Austin when it came to the level of culinary and the level of food that we were putting out. Mind you, this is about six years ago. So the food scene from Austin has definitely evolved. And when I go back and look at the food that we put on in 2017, it's, it's definitely stuff that looks a little bit dated, but the food that they're doing now obviously evolved with the times. And what we ended up doing is we ended up renting an Airbnb because we had no test kitchen. And we went in there and there was, uh, I want to say, eight chefs because we called ourselves the hateful eight. And we went in there and every day was just head down, cook. And we had to create these recipes, weigh everything out, measure it to the gram, taste it. No, it needs more of this. It needs more acidity. It needs more salt. It's not on the level. It's not creative enough. And there, there was a lot of stakeholders in, the, in this restaurant. Three particular stakeholders that I'll call out was obviously myself being the head chef, Jason Purcell, who was the chef de cuisine, fantastic, phenomenal chef, and Atticus Grant, who was my number two in charge. And all three of us had very different backgrounds, but we had to come together and create something exceptional for this restaurant. So we'd go through these dishes and taste them and we'd talk and is is this on the level that is the same as the best restaurants in our city or if not a little bit better? And we'd sit down and we'd dissect them. I would have different chef friends of mine coming in, would come in and taste and I'd want them to pick it apart. I wanted people to see what we were doing and say, okay, there's a new game in town. We were extremely competitive, but also extremely secretive in what we were doing. But when you're opening up a restaurant, you have to be a little bit aspirational. So early on, the first two chefs that were hired on this project was myself and my chef Atticus. And we had sat in the office and we were talking about, we really need this restaurant to be one of the best restaurants in the city, but we needed a benchmark. Now he was just moving from Chicago at the time and I had never eaten there, but he had. And I really looked at Smith restaurant and said, you know, that, that is kind of the level that we need to be because Austin at the time, even though, you know, people look at Austin as one of the most progressive food cities in the country at that time, I still didn't think it was on the level of a Chicago or a San Francisco or a New York for that matter. And then one of the chefs was coming from Chicago and the other chef was coming from San Francisco we got another chef coming from New York so we kind of knew what the what the top end food scene would look like but this needed to be ours now we ran into a little bit of difficulty with this because we had no proof in concept meaning we hadn't demonstrated that the level of food that we wanted to pull off was actually going to be accepted in Austin that was problem number 1 problem number 2 was just because three or four chefs could execute it at the top didn't mean the 10 or 15 people that worked for us could. So we had to think, we're coming into a city and we're trying to push food to a certain level, but the guests might not be ready for that level and the cooks also might not be ready to cook at that level. So that created a little bit of a dilemma. So when we were doing this, we had to make sure that the recipes were ironclad, detailed, everything was specked out, weighed to the gram. And like I said, multiple iterations of it, But when we opened the restaurant we put a couple of things on there that we thought okay this is probably going to stay on the menu for a long time but we introduced items with training wheels and we had a plan that said okay we're going to start here because we need to introduce new techniques to the cooks that are working for us and we need to introduce new flavor profiles to the city that we're in so we're going to put training wheels on and take them here and we had mapped out a journey that with every seasonal menu change. And in our case, we were changing on the season. So December 21st, April 21st, June 21st, September 21st. So the 21st is usually the the first day of the new season. So we always set that as the marker that that would be the first day that we'd implement the new menu. So we were updating our menu four times a year annually, but with each menu iteration, progressively amping up the difficulty setting, not just for the cooks, but also for our loyal customers, we would take them on this journey, introducing them to more and more complex techniques, different flavors, pushing them out of their comfort zone a little bit. With the ultimate end goal of, like I said, taking over the world, we wanted to become the best restaurant in the city because when you're building an empire, right, first you take over the town, then the city, then the country, then the world, right? So, I mean, that, that's how you scale up. If you can't be the best chef in your city, you're not going to be the best chef in your state or your country or the world for that matter. So you have to start small. So our primary objective was how do we become the best restaurant in the city? And with every menu iteration, we started to get more and more difficult. Now, if, you've, if you're have if you not from Austin, the one thing that I could tell you about the Austin food scene is it is a little bit eclectic and it it has its own unique flavor. So we were also trying to play to the crowd here in the city. So we had, to, we had to quickly think what was our greatest advantage. And so we sat around in a room and I remember talking with the chefs and I said, let's, if they're not embracing us, then let's just create our own lane. And what we recognized an opportunity, our own lane in this particular city, is that there wasn't anyone really doing the high end well, like the, the luxury market. The lane there was pretty clear. There wasn't a lot of competition in there. So I said, since most other people can't do it, let's just dive right into that lane and let's go more high end. Let's put the white truffles on. Let's get the caviar. Let's get the A5 Wagyu. Let's put the tasting menu on. Let's push it to the next level. Let's buy the gold Bernadotte plates. And let's amplify the luxury end to be a little bit more provocative. So let's push to be a little bit more high end. And what we found was that we created a lane all for ourselves with minimal competition, and we became that luxury restaurant in the city that needed it at the time because it was still growing. Now, I got to say, this was years ago. So now Austin's much different. I think the food has progressed in the city tremendously since then. And I think it's not uncommon now to find caviar and truffles and things like that. Or even the, the luxury market, I think there's some incredible restaurants here in the city specifically. But I but I get asked this often, is how do you start introducing things with more and more complexity? So I talked about this before, but I would pair them up with something that's popular, with something that's maybe on the fringe, and pair them up together so that way you could introduce the more fringe ingredient with the very popular thing. So I, I did this strategy when we were opening up the restaurant. You know, The chef de cuisine would come to me and we'd look at the dish and be like, yes, that's it. He was, he was extremely creative, had a dynamic team for that restaurant, which is part of the reason why it was so successful. But we had a laser-like focus on what we were trying to achieve. I still view Garrison as one of the best restaurants in the city, and I think an argument could be made food-wise. It's in that interchangeable number one spot. But in order to get there, you had to have a very like-minded group of individuals that all believed in that mission and all understood that we needed to get there. But the cooks had to come up at a certain level, and the guests had to come up at a certain level. So when you're in some other markets, I'm just making this up. Let's say you're in a, in Nebraska and, and by the way, I've never been to Nebraska. I don't know. I don't know how the restaurant scene is there, but let's just say you're in Nebraska and you're trying to go ultra luxe, and you want to bring in this Noma style menu. They might not be ready for it. They might not be ready for uh reindeer penises with some salad. That just might not be their comfort zone yet, so you might want to pump the brakes and introduce things slowly but surely because it could be the kiss of death for your restaurant. Because ultimately, if you bring a concept before it's time, it's going to fail. Just because it worked now doesn't mean it's going to work 10 years ago. And it doesn't mean that it was bad 10 years ago, it just means its time had not yet come. So I I I'd, I'd caution people trying to take over the world immediately right out the gate. Understand your market, go in with a little bit of training wheels test the waters and see if the city's going to be ready for it. I'm going to share one last thing with you because we're jokingly calling this episode taking over the world. But one of the things that I had done previously, and sometimes I still do to this day, like when you want to get into that mindset, it's a good thing to study them and to study greatness and to kind of put yourself in the mindset of those great people. So something that I do is I will read books or listen to audio books of great people in history so whether it's alexander the great julius caesar genghis khan napoleon whoever right so if you're, if you're trying to conquer the culinary world you need to know how conquerors do it right there's some strategy involved understanding the art of war like you, you have to understand how the tactics are used to take over and what the strategy is and not just go in with reckless abandon there has to be a certain level of thoughtfulness when you're going into these scenarios Opening a restaurant is like metaphorically crossing the Rubicon, right? When Caesar crossed the Rubicon, it was like, it was an act of war. That's what opening up a restaurant is. It's the point of no return. Once you've put your foot in the water, you're in. And when you're talking about people putting in a lot of money in this, owners, investors, you have to act swiftly. If you made a bad decision on a menu item, you have to adjust very quickly because restaurants live and die every day off sales. One bad review hurts way more than people realize. Anyway, food for thought. This was something I thought about recently. Kind of random thoughts podcast. Take over the world. If you're out there conquering the world, good luck to you. Focus, strategic, create great food. Have a plan. First the city, then the state, then the country, then the world. That's what Chef's PSA podcast is doing. Number one podcast. Five-star podcast. If you want to support the show, hit the subscribe button. If you're on YouTube, hit the like button. Make sure you leave five stars. Go to chefspsa.com. Get all the books Culinary Leadership Fundamentals in Multiple Languages, Kitchen Art of War, Bad Sue, Good Chef, Line Cook Survival Manual, the free ebooks. See you next week. Hit the porno music.